0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Meradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Joining us today to review the week in Washington and the world are Dr. Patrick Cronin, the Asia-Pacific Security Chair at the Hudson Institute Think Tank, Barry Pavel, who heads the National Security Program at the Rand Corporation Think Tank, and former Pentagon Europe Chief, Jim Townsend, who is now with the Center for a New American Security and is the co-host of the Brussels Sprouts podcast, the must for anybody interested in the transatlantic relationship. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Great to have you all back uh, on the show. And before we get started, Leonardo, DRS, and HII sponsor our global coverage, General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage, Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage, and GE Aerospace Sponsors our air and naval coverage and our coverage of the Navy League's annual Sea Aerospace Conference and Trade Show was sponsored by HII, Leonardo DRS, GE Marine, a GE Aerospace Company, and Helicon Chemical. Everybody, thanks so uh, much uh, again for joining us. Uh, Jim, another uh, very big week uh, in Europe, and we're going to get to that. Uh, in just a moment, but I want to start by getting everybody's take on what has been uh, the big story of the past couple of weeks and certainly uh, the past 24 or so hours, uh, the aftermath of the worst uh, U.S. intelligence leaks uh, in a decade, this time coming from a 21-year-old Massachusetts Air National Guard Airman First Class Jack Teixeira. Uh, This is the third time a junior individual, whether in the form of Chelsea Manning or Eric Snowden, uh, has compromised Uh, classified information. I would note that these are sort of network and intelligence systems uh, managers, as opposed to, you know, sort of uh, the Hansons of the world that are the high level uh, spies. Uh, On the one hand, we have breathless coverage uh, that seems to turn mountain, you know, molehills into mountains. You know, much of what was disclosed was actually known. uh, And, you know, even if we have A lot more granular information now. For example, Ukraine's low state of ammunition, that Korea didn't want to supply weapons directly to Kiev, discord among Russian leaders and organizations. But seeing them in detail does change the dynamic. President Biden has tried to minimize the impact, while virtually everybody else who works for him uh, has has sort of been borderline uh, hysterical. Uh, Jim, start us off. What are the implications of the leaks, and what kind of damage control does Washington reasonably uh, need to do? And how much of it is just like you just got to rip the Band-Aid off and and just kind of move on at some point? I mean, I don't want to minimize this because there is a lot of information that's out there and a lot more information maybe in the process of getting out there.
1: Well, I I guess I'd say a couple of things. First, this uh, young airman that was arrested, he's got to go through due process of of law. Right. So so, you know, he's under arrest. Uh, He'll have to go through the court uh, system and we'll see where he ends up. So I am I'm not prepared right now myself to to point the finger and say, he's guilty. He might very well be, but I think right now we have to respect that he's going to be processed and we'll see, see where where we end up. Second thing is, um, in terms of the documents themselves, I I think we still need to hear from DOD about these documents. And, uh, and I mean, are they, is is this the real thing or these manipulated? I mean, I know one of them is, uh, just what are we looking at here? Because I've been asked by other news media, particularly from the Middle East, they call and they're making these allegations based on these slides and these other bits of intel that have been released, uh, you know, allegations about spying in the Middle East, all kinds of things. And 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 I, I'm i saying we don't know that, you know, we can't, we don't have these things verified yet to know what we're looking at. So, I, so I'm not going to sit here and have anyone apologize or talk about spying when when it's based on stuff that was on a gamer, you know, on a gamer uh, site, and 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 so let's let's let that that investigation continue on, but I think one thing we're gonna have to do though uh, is, and I'm sure they're doing it right now, and all of us have been in the government before, so stand by for tightened uh, security processes, including the security clearance process. You know, uh, he slipped this this guy, assuming he's guilty. Uh, you know, uh, slipped through the the net and got a security clearance. Uh, not only that, but he got access uh, to a lot of need to know information. Uh, that that whether he had a need to know or not, he certainly got access to it to it through a a computer. And and maybe the use of computers and access to databases really gives too much access to people who don't need it. So bottom line is that I think for DOD, it's got to very quickly turn to how did this happen. And how do we need to really tighten up? Uh, need to know and access and 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 security clearances. That's going to be a it'll be a long time, I think, before some people are going to get their clearances because they're going to go through and check out if they're gamers or and everything else. You can just you can just see how it's going to get bumpy uh, in terms of, in terms of this stuff. Bottom line, though, and, and last point, Vago is, uh, you know, I haven't seen the, tr- all the documents in this trove. I've only seen a couple of pieces that were in the New York Times. I don't see something happening here that is going to impact on the on the on the Ukraine uh, battlefield as it is today, um, as it might be tomorrow in terms of a uh, offensive. I think a lot of this stuff was dated and a lot of it was statistics uh, that may or may not have been true at a snapshot in time a few months ago. So but I haven't seen everything. But I do know because I'm getting these phone calls from the media. I do know there's countries in the Middle East and elsewhere. Who right. are uh, really pissed off uh, that uh, about U.S. Uh, the pop, the potential here that the U.S. is listening in and this type of thing. So there are problems ahead for the for this administration to deal with that aspect of the release of
0: this information. Let me um, ask. Uh, well, let me just ask you one follow up because you were actually in the governmental chair when the WikiLeaks uh, happened. Uh, you, you and I would occasionally talk about, uh, oh boy, another great day of engaging with allies and partners. Obviously, that was a much bigger um, and much more concerted and a global campaign as opposed to the dribble we've seen coming out of Discord, which is sort of a gamer uh, website, uh, even if it did make it onto Telegram and, and get into the broader consciousness. What are some lessons of the last time where the Obama administration time and again thought it had contained or that there would be no additional leaks and there was another lurch of leaks uh, that would happen. What are some lessons from that experience that folks can apply this time around? Given how much damage control, and I'm I'm sorry if you're an American ally and partner or you're a nation anywhere, you should recognize that we all monitor one another. That's the reason why they have intelligence services and people in the United States uh, as legals, just like we do. So let's you know, and and we have intelligence sharing agreements with governments all around the planet, right? Some of this stuff is done in concert with our allies and partners, not you know against their wishes anyway what what are some lessons we can learn from the last time around this time around
2: well
1: well you're absolutely right vago and and i and i think that uh that's something that uh nations on the whole should know that but if they choose to make a big deal out of it for their own internal political reasons they will uh i think in terms of allies uh and partners um you know, they're not going to do it in a public way. They might say something privately. It'll be in, in an awkward moment in a sec-deaf meeting or behind closed doors somewhere. And and we'll have to apologize. And I think there'll be also a bit from them where they're saying, we're giving you some of our stuff as well. And if you're not if you're not able to keep your own stuff safe, we're, we don't know how much more we might give you. Uh, you know, they'll make a big deal out of that. Can we trust you anymore? And so this is, again, the allies and partners side of it. Um, but there are going to be some other countries maybe some in the middle east and and other places where it's going to be more awkward because they're going to come in and and really pitch a fit uh and maybe even do that publicly uh, to try to make something you know domestic out of this that looks good on that particular country and uh and i think we're just going to have to you have to just sit there and and take it uh there's there's you know you're not going to be sitting there unapologizing um I, i think on the one hand on the other hand uh you know, there's not a whole lot you can say, except uh, to just, uh, you know, it's just going to happen and and you're going to have to let time take care of it. I mean, you can do somewhat of an apology. I mean, it depends on what it is that's been released and depends on the relationship with the country you're dealing with. So it's really situational dependent. But at the end of the day, Uh, you know, you're going to just have to sit there and take it. And it's going to be awkward. You're going to take a a licking, if you will. And then time moves on and you move on as well.
0: Patrick uh, and Barry want to get your sense. Uh, You guys have both served uh, in government for uh, long uh, periods of time. Patrick, uh, take it away. And Barry, want to get your sense from both the Pentagon and a White House perspective, sort of you know what's what's going on now. What do we bear in mind? What do we need to bear in mind as we go uh, through the process? Without necessarily belaboring uh, any of this uh, at this point, go ahead, Patrick.
2: Well, first, big observation is we live in a digital age, and so these mega leaks are just a lot easier, uh, including by these uh, technical uh, sort of servants. Um, you know, from WikiLeaks in 2010 to Snowden in 2013, what leaked to the shadow brokers five or six years ago. To all of these hundreds of documents, apparently starting to leak onto this uh, gaming server uh, as early as late last year, and then migrating to other um, gaming sites where they might have been manipulated at that point. Um, and we're and it's going to take months to try to figure out, uh, you know, what the impact will be. The short-term impact uh, seems to be the second point here is mostly on the Ukraine war because this seemed to be mostly documents about. Uh, related to the war in Ukraine, um, and uh, you know, we'll have to see whether this uh, affects the calculations on the battlefield about both Ukraine's coming counteroffensive uh, and how Russia plays the idea that uh, there could be munitions shortages or their weaknesses in the Russian forces uh, as well. Um, a third point, and this one is you know ma- more important to me as it deals with China, and the fact that um, you had a couple of things. One, you had information about China in one of these documents about a successful IRBM DF-27 test in late February, which would put beyond the second island chain all at risk of precision strike if China has now operationalized the DF-27. But you have the question of American calculations being put out. Mind you, this is something I actually said in public, I think, weeks ago, that that the Chinese... Uh, are probably trying to deter the Americans in the West from providing more and better weapons to Ukraine by threatening to provide uh, weapons to Russia well that ends up in this uh in this watch notice uh, watch report of February 23 according to the documents that were leaked. And um, and so now you've got the Chinese Defense Minister, General Li Shangfu Fu, heading to Beijing next, I mean to Moscow next week to meet with Sergei Shoigu and other defense and leaders in Russia to discuss, presumably, the war and how China can help. But you also no doubt have China and Russia hoping to use this leverage that the US government may be deterrable from providing aircraft and longer-range missiles to Ukraine for fear that it could really tip china into uh, this war and i think that's an interesting calculation it's hard to say how that plays out because um as you pointed out much of this was already actually known or in the public domain um even if the details matter and then final big observation is uh, jim was talking about in particular about allies and partners so uh, for in asia it's the south korea a mini crisis mostly not because the, the government thinks it's a crisis of, of the Yoon administration President Yoon set for a state visit later this month, but really the opposition party is making hay over this for domestic political reasons and that's creating uh, a problem for the alliance. but you know whether you're Israel uh, or Egypt or South Korea or other countries that are implicated in some of these documents, uh, so far they're all kind of downplaying them or denying the accuracy right. of them and that's that's probably a good, Good move because we all have an interest in pushing this back into the intelligence portfolio and getting on with our common interests.
0: Barry, uh, your sense from from both you know DoD, White House, right think tank uh, perspective, what's your sense on all of this and the right way ahead?
3: Sure, and I, I really um, you know agree with everything that Jim and uh, Patrick have have said. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not privy to any information that's not uh, about this, that's not already in the public domain. So I'll be somewhat modest. I mean, I think I would make um, repoints. Um, one is, you know, there, the amount of engagement behind the scenes by diplomats and others in the US, you know, working, engaging with allies, talking to them about this uh, should not be underestimated. This has been a, this is a crisis, you know, in terms of uh, ensuring that alliances continue to, to remain close. So that's kind of number one. Number two, I think it's interesting that it's this is a gaming kind of um, platform leak. And um, I think game, gaming, there's a far greater level of activity online than most ordinary people realize. Uh, the size of the industry dwarfs, for example, the movie industry by an enormous amount, and that will likely continue. So I think um, a bit more attention to gaming Um, uh, as uh, a a major global platform might make some sense. And then third, um, you know, way too early to say anything clearly in terms of lesson, but it's my sense, just my instinct, that um, the rules for um, who gains access to what classified documents need to be tightened very significantly. And when, um, you know, in the government, we call this need to know. And I think when you, you know, that, that in general is handled um, a bit too loosely. And I think it really needs uh, a lot more fastidious attention than it, than at least it, it got when I was uh, an official, which is way back. So maybe things have improved, but that's my instinct right now. We need to get much tighter on who has access to what documents.
0: And I should point out to our audience that on Tuesday, we hope to have a a retired United States Navy, uh, Admiral Mike Rogers, the the former uh, commander of U.S. Cyber Command, but also uh, former director of the National Security Agency, talk to us a little bit about that, because The Economist and a number of other publications have noted that we have about a million people with top secret uh, and compartmented uh, information clearances in the United States, which you could argue might be too many. Uh, people uh, in in the ecosystem, uh, right? I mean, we decided after 9-11, everybody needed to know to better connect dots. And, you know, we can't have silos and we've got to break them. As a consequence, when you get a person in, they can actually exfiltrate a remarkable amount of information. And, and, and of course, the concern is uh, that Airman uh, First Class Teixeira may have been, you know, uh, right, Chris Krebs has suggested, uh, former CISA uh, director, uh, uh, cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency director. Uh, you know that that he could have been a person who was who was manning the burn bags uh, and and tending to them, and as a consequence, was gaining access to documents uh, that uh, were in his uh, custody. Speaking of damage control, uh, Jim, I want to bring you into the conversation. Uh, we stay in touch over the course of the week uh, to uh, not surprise uh, one another when uh, the the show comes around, uh, and we have been uh, talking about how. Uh, you know, last week we discussed a little bit that, you know, French President Emmanuel Macron coordinated his trip with uh, trip to Beijing with Washington. Mm, if it did, it's not entirely reflected in how the French president parroted messaging uh, yeah, from so. Xi Jinping. <laughs> yeah, You're exactly. Right. From, from Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin basically saying Europe shouldn't get dragged into a conflict over Taiwan. Uh, we, we needed to minimize dependence on the dollar. Uh, this as uh, Lula Uh, the the Brazilian president and Xi Jinping struck a deal to basically get the dollar out of Brazilian and and Chinese trade, um, and uh, very much uh, sending the signal that, you know, we we have to reduce our dependency on the United States. This is a very frustrating message because obviously the relationship between France and the United States has been steadily improving for a decade and a half. Uh, There are people on both sides who are absolutely stunned. As you noted, it, it wasn't that Macron said anything new. It's just that he assembled it in a holistic pattern package and sort of just put it on the table, effectively doing the work that she and Putin have been counting on somebody doing on their behalf, which is driving a wedge uh, into uh, the Atlantic Alliance. It's fueled concerns in Europe where Poles and anybody in the eastern part of the alliance don't trust either Paris or Berlin. Uh, and it's highlighted those fears. Um, And then on on top of all of that, Paris's relationship with Berlin uh, is rocky as dumpsters continue to burn two weeks now of of demonstration on on the streets, obviously because of the increase of the retirement age to 64. Walk us through what the implications and the magnitude of what Emmanuel Macron said and the fact that he's totally unrepentant about what he said. He went to Amsterdam and repeated everything uh, again when he met with Mark Ruda.
1: People are still scratching their heads. uh, And and usually people say, well, it's Macron being Macron. Well, I, and I understand that, but that only goes so far. I, I, think, I think what is really, a couple things have irked people. One of them is the fact that he said that on his way out of Beijing after meeting uh, with the Chinese, at the same time, the Chinese Navy was circling Taiwan. And, uh, and, and, and in a sense, uh, at a time of uh, where we needed to show unity and concern about what the Chinese were doing around Taiwan, you have uh, Macron saying, look, this is, I'm not sure this is any business of ours, Europe's. And as if he was speaking for Europe, you know, as Marco Rubio pointed out in a, in a video. So, uh, so there is a lot of consternation there, uh, you know, both, both in terms of timing and, um, and, and, and just what was his thinking uh, in terms of strategic autonomy in the sense that he wants to lead Europe. In a in a direction of, of standing on his own two feet and being you know like you said not dependent on the United States et cetera et cetera, and he and you know France would like to lead that effort but this is undercut that effort because a lot of the Europeans are pissed particularly in Central Europe but Germany is as well uh, at a time when we need to have unity whether it's for China or for the or for the Ukraine, um, he's he's helping uh, uh, Putin and Z uh, drive wedges but I think we have to know too that. Um, you know, it takes two to drive a wedge. Uh, we'll, you know, if we can, we can, uh, you know, we can make sure that this doesn't become a wedge between us. And I think a lot of the response by the White House, instead of being a, in a high dander, you know, and uh, pushing back hard on Macron, they downplayed it. They talked about what we were doing. So they're not going to let this become a, a, a wedge. And I think that's an important point. Uh, Macron, you know, wasn't speaking for Europe. Macron is undercutting himself. Uh, Macron is making his, his situation even worse uh, domestically um, in a lot of ways. Uh, so I think I think that um, b- by not letting this become a wedge, by not letting this hurt the bilateral relationship, uh, by by keeping everybody focused on unity, I think that's how we have to respond to it. We can't rise to it. What has been thing- thinking was, is it's still a mystery, but we got to move on. And, uh, and I think the response from the White House was was the white one was the right one. I don't know what they're going to do behind closed doors. (laughs) But I think publicly, I think that was the that was the right response.
0: Well, I mean, right. I mean, a friend on the French cabinet decades ago told me the worst moment for France is when a French president looks in the mirror and sees de Gaulle looking back and it's sort of game on at that point. Uh, And you could say maybe Macron entered the job that way. Enormous (laughs) amount of frustration among my friends uh, across French government for this because they think it's very strategic that they view China as a very problematic nation and as uh, one of uh, the world's great democracies uh france should you know and an asia pacific power you know france uh needs to play a more constructive role than than necessarily going to beijing getting a couple of contracts and then uh the french president mirroring uh you know a, a, effectively the the rhetoric of our of our adversaries patrick we can't, um, this was yeah. a, go ahead jim if, if, if
1: i can just real quick I, we can't make this worse by by rising to the bait uh, and really making a right. big, big deal out of it. He's not speaking for Europe. He's not even really speaking for France. And, and, I mean, he is because he's the French president, but, but as you point out, not a lot of people necessarily agree with him on this. And so uh, I think we just, you know, I think we have to motor on.
0: Um, Patrick, uh, I want to ask you, uh, right. I mean, whoever did, uh, the, the dossier for Xi and the Chinese leadership, right, they read Macron perfectly and knew exactly uh, the right pressure points to do. So that guy should get an order, uh, uh, you know, some form of order uh, for, for the work that was done. Um, this has been a very successful period for China, uh, right? You could regard this as a big win for Xi, uh, especially because Macron did not back away from it. Uh, we saw the Lula visit, in which the Brazilian president struck a very similar tone and came home with a lot of economic goodies, including you know orders for Embraer uh, jets, uh, a currency deal that cuts us out, uh, which is what uh, China has been doing, and again Macron's uh, comments play into that. Uh, I mean, and and then you know the diplomatic deal and 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 everything else is is China on a roll from from your perspective, and is sort of the Western alliance that Washington is trying to array against China weakening?
2: Well, those are important questions and ongoing uh, analysis. Uh, you know not there's nothing definitive this week. Um, I think we are engaged in a fierce diplomatic competition right now ever since Xi Jinping pivoted from the last party Congress late last year to uh, really uh, returning to the international stage and he's he's been doing it with a vengeance. Um, but I think both. US and China, have been extremely active, and I can get into that uh, what the U.S. has been doing lately in a minute. Um, I think you know here, there's no doubt that Macron did get tripped up on the red carpet. I mean, they played to his ego, uh, and he missed the opportunity to send the joint message that I think he really wanted to, or or should have wanted to. Um, and it was left to the uh, you know German foreign minister today to deliver the harsher line that said, by the way, uh, Europe will not accept anything but a peaceful resolution to the Taiwan crisis. Um, And that was the right message, Um, even if um, Macron intended uh, to try to probe Beijing and see whether there was something uh, more cooperative that might be done with China and to try to pry it away from Russia. Instead, we've got uh, China heading to Russia on the heels of meeting, you know, uh, hosting Lula and Brazil and the BRICS countries are, minus India at least, uh, you know, tightening around China's uh, lead uh, by all appearances, but I wouldn't go too far there either. Lula's uh, all about uh, getting the kind of investment, infrastructure, money, and independence he needs to kind of double the Brazilian economy here before the end of the decade. Um, and in the process, though, he's being used like Macron. Uh, you know, Lula's probably going to go to Beijing today and endorse uh, the so called peace uh, precepts of uh, of Xi Jinping regarding the Ukraine war. Um, and that's a small price to pay if you're Lula for getting the kind of major investments that he's expecting out of China. Um, but we are playing into the Chinese narrative, and that's the real danger here. So I hope that uh, we can reassert a unity among the allies, um, and and you know we're not afraid to have our allies be independent and autonomous. And by the way, Macron making the point that he, he you know we, we can't be you know we have to be independent, we have to control our own destiny. But if Russia is invading Ukraine, on your doorstep and you and you need us help um how does that uh, help your own destiny you know we're in this together um and i think most french as jim is suggesting understand that and i i'm i'm optimistic that this competition diplomatically with china is 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 got to be waged uh, and will come out uh, pretty good despite the fact that china seems to be getting a lot of uh, scoring a lot of wins lately uh, but I mean, right,
0: I mean, part of the challenge, and this is how it was interpreted as we were talking last week, as this was almost happening in real time, was, and Patrick, I think you made this this point, right? I mean, this sort of European expectation, oh my God, Russia is threatening us, you must act. And, you know, the, the, the United States is expected to uh, pitch in. While at the same time, hey, you guys are kind of off on your own, God forbid, if a a a uh, China-Taiwan crisis uh, breaks out. And so that's one of the things that was frustrating, uh, even very transatlantically minded, even very Francophile uh, Americans uh, in in Washington, uh, because it wasn't all that long ago that France was a four letter word in, in Washington and that that image has changed so universally uh, was, was, was very uh, hard uh, to see. Barry, I just want to bring your uh, perspective in on this uh, because uh, you, know, you, you were in government at, at some of the worst moments where France was a four-letter word, uh, unfortunately, in part because of Jacques Chirac and, and Schroeder and uh, you know, going into the Iraq War, obviously. Uh, but uh, you know, it's so dramatically changed. And that calls, for example, by President Obama, hey, Europe, you guys got to stand up and do more Were misconstrued as the United States not being interested in Europe or somehow turning its back on Europe, as opposed to saying, look, we're going to have our hands full in the Asia Pacific. To an extent, we've talked many times on this program about how Macron is actually a positive force in in that sometimes the way he does it is criticized, but that the message is a good one. Hey, we in Europe have got to do more, um, you know. When the, you know, America becomes more focused on the Asia Pacific, how do you regard this entire situation and what's the right way to sort of steer this in a more constructive manner? By the way, I think we're in potentially far deeper and worse shape once Marine Le Pen succeeds Emmanuel Macron, uh, given that she has been bought and paid for by the Russians. And I think it's pretty safe right The, the body of evidence is significant on that front uh, without being disrespectful uh, to uh, somebody who might become the next French president, but I mean, there's been a lot of Russian money that's gone directly from Moscow, and now increasingly through uh, Budapest. There, uh, you know what, what's what's your sense? Yeah, and that and that would be just to get right to that. That
3: would be a very that would be a very dangerous world. I think where you know th- this happens with French leaders. I, I just think of it as a particularly French you know, a uh, uh, phenomenon where, you know, one out of every, you know, I'm making the number up, one out of every, you know, three dozen statements is just one of these kind of neo um, kind of off-message off, uh, off message things. And so we're lucky that it doesn't happen more often and that it's not a consistent policy. You know, it's a little bit like when Trump would say things, right? But the rest of the U.S. government would do the opposite. And so um, I, I think that's how, I think the way Jim, But this is how to treat how to treat this. Let's soldier on. And I just want to footstomp the amazingly clear and on message remarks uh, uh, within the last 24 hours of the German foreign minister uh, and of the EU foreign policy chief, who was supposed to go to Beijing to speak at a think tank, but uh, caught COVID, but nonetheless put his remarks on the EU website. And they were very clear. They obviously coordinated. They said the same exact thing about Taiwan at any attempt to use hostile force to change the status quo would be completely unacceptable uh, for Europeans is the word is the way it was phrased by both. And so uh, this is great. We haven't usually had this before this luxury of other European officials immediately retracting and going in the direction, you know, that needs to be uh, needs to be reinforced. And so I think uh, moving forward on that basis is the best way for um, allies and partners who, are, uh, who share these interests and values to stand, up, uh, to stand up to China. I do wanna also though just reinforce the point that here we have the um, Chinese uh, defense minister going to uh, Moscow for a pretty sustained visit. And, and this is the defense minister. So again, you know, this is an alliance. And I think when we when we hear about these kinds of meetings, we in our heads because of how we've lived, you know, we, we immediately discount, you know, the significance. But I think we need to, you know, seriously abandon that preconception and move to one that features them in a formal military alliance, economic, trade, technology, cyber, intel, information and every other domain. And so, again, I think it's very incumbent upon us to treat them as, as adversaries and as allies uh, to counter all of our values and, and, and all of our interests. And, and there's a lot the U.S. And, and others need to do to deal with this new world.
0: Um, I'm gonna uh, come to that uh, in in just a moment, Barry, and let you take a second bite of the apple before uh, we go to Jim. Uh, I first want uh, to remind our audience to check out our other weekly podcast, Cavaships, ships, hosted by uh, Chris Cavas and Chris Cervello and sponsored by hiI who clear the fog on naval and maritime matters each week, the downlink with Laura Winter, who takes a thoughtful look at all things space and our new air power podcast sponsored by GE Aerospace with JJ Gertler Uh, and uh, me. And I also want to add that GE Marine, a GE Aerospace Company also uh, sponsors, uh, -sponsors, co-sponsors the Calvus Ships podcast. Um, I I just want to say one thing to, uh, folks uh, in Paris and in France who are very frustrated by this, continue doing the great work you're doing. Knot and splice, as they would say in the uh, in the days of sale, your rigging has been a little tattered, but uh, get in there, do the knotting and splicing to make sure that the relationships remain sound uh, and continue working on your boss to not just get him on message, but keep him on message. Because I think one of the great frustrations of of, of those who work with Macron is, you know, they have everything set, and then he all of a sudden becomes a, 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 a loose cannon sliding around uh, the, the deck there. I've used up all my naval uh, analogies. Barry, uh, interesting piece um, by uh, Richard Haas and uh, Charles Kupchin saying, look, we need sort of a different approach to uh, 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 resolving the Ukraine crisis. Uh, Both sides have committed themselves to fighting for reasons of face and other. Uh, Both are exhausted. Uh, Russia has greater resources. We're sort of getting uh, low. This is a big frustration that we have shared on this program before, that we are giving enough for Ukraine to sustain itself, not necessarily giving enough for Ukraine to prevail. And we're trying to strike this balance and self-deterring throughout the process. What's the different thinking we need, and and Jim, I want to bring you in to this uh, in a moment. Is it time for different thinking, especially in the wake of these revelations, or is it that actually, once equipped with these weapons, the Ukrainians have shown that they can actually equip themselves remarkably well on the battlefield? And let's let this play out uh, before we clamp on uh, the brakes. Even though the message that I think Richard and Charles were delivering is. At at some point in the not too distant future, you know, it, it's we're not going to be able to give as much as it takes. And it's it's you know, people's interest will wane, and it's going to be time to, to sort of put some pressure to negotiate an end to this. What's what's your sense? Because she and Putin think time is on their side, and at some point we are going to get exhausted, we're going to get tired, and he will launch four wars more to retake Ukraine, right? I mean, he's the terminator unless you crush the red light from his eyes, he's going to keep going. Well, I mean, I think, uh, this, first of all, this is a good debate to have.
3: Uh, you know, what should be the aims of of the of the defense against Putin's ongoing invasion? Um, but I, I could not agree less with the suggestion that, you know, please, you know, time to compromise now for whatever reason now. And we're expending too many resources. And like, let's actually look at the resources compared to uh, a lot of other um scenarios, including one in which uh, Putin was successful in taking all of Ukraine and has a massive uh, concentration of Russian forces directly on the borders of NATO's eastern flank and the trillions of dollars over the next decade that that would take to defend against, I think this is a pretty good discount, uh, in my opinion. And, and the Ukrainians are fighting or are, are killing Russian soldiers you know, on our behalf. But it's also geo- geopolitically important. I mean, we need—I would go in the other direction. We need to plan for and act to enable a comprehensive defeat of Putin's invasion in Ukraine, and then use that for an ambitious reset of the global geopolitical architecture uh, that would bring like-minded major allies and partners together across the three continents to collaborate in, in all of the domains to counter. Russian and Chinese collaboration. You know, the defeat of Putin's invasion would be a massive hit for Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party, which hitched its wagon to Putin on February fourth of twenty twenty-two. If I'm, if my date is uh, recall is correct, and Putin owns this invasion and he will own its clear defeat. So this is an enormous uh, historical moment. That if we start to say, you know, well we don't have the resources, or uh, sure, let's carve off a piece of Ukraine. What message does that send to Xi Jinping about Taiwan, that if he grabs a part of Taiwan, we'll be okay with that? That you know Chinese forces occupying part of Taiwan after an attempted invasion, we would be fine with that? I mean, we, we just need to think really clearly and ambitiously about not just the particular implications for Ukraine and for European security, but the outer concentric circles that this would affect, including alliances in other parts of the world and how allies will either get closer to us and help defend our interests and values or start to hedge because they think, okay, the U S is okay with violations of the rules-based order. You know, when it, when it, when they decide that we've expended enough resources and when they decide that, you know, we're getting as far as we can go. So I would go in the other direction.
0: I I agree with you, by the way, uh, for what it's worth, Barry, I I completely agree with you. you. You've either got to stand and you got to do it. And we've been slow across the piece, the Ukrainians showed us that they could prevail if we gave them the right stuff early on in this, and we did not, we're not surging production and not making the right moves. And we're now doing it and saying, well, we're not going to be able to build stuff fast enough for what they need. And it's because we got off the dime too slowly, right? I mean, if, if that's, you know, time is the most important commodity and we tend to to squander it. Go, go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry.
1: Well, no, I, I agree with Barry 100% and with, with what you just said too. I, the timing of this piece that came out talking about uh, hey, you know, this is going to be a stalemate. you know this is right before their offensive. <laughs> I, you know, I just can't believe uh, they were so ten eared that they would publish this thing before the before the offensive kicks off. Have they not seen that a lot of the doom saying that a lot of us did uh, right as that war kicked off last year? didn't prove to be correct uh that they outperformed uh, um, you know w- what our expectations were and the Russians certainly under uh performed so uh, you know i think let's give them a chance before we start throwing rocks at them it's just i thought that was just amazing I, i'm i'm definitely with you guys on this let's see where we go on this offensive there's a there's a lot more ahead of us we're giving them now more sophisticated weapons i'm still like everyone it seems uh cons- upset that Uh, This weapons flow has been so slow and so late, Uh, but we are where we are. But let's let's see what happens. Let's 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 urge them on. Let's keep their morale up. Let's keep the uh, extremist Republicans in the box. Uh, You know, let's don't let them out of the box and join forces with them and say this is a stalemate. So I think uh, I I agree with where where Barry is and what you said as well, Vago, let's uh, let's wish them the best. That's you know. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition, you know, and uh, let's let this offensive go.
0: That's the that's the friendliest way I've ever heard that said, uh, Jim. Well, well done, Patrick. A lot of very smart folks have been making this argument. But does this argument effectively? I mean, you don't want to make this. uh, And I certainly don't want to play this as to right. I mean, you have to keep the war in Vietnam going or Iraq or Afghanistan going just because you have to keep it going. Otherwise, the other guy uh, wins. Right. We don't want to give him a win but there is no win, uh, right? I mean, at, at some point you have to be realistic um, and pragmatic about it. I mean, again, I think it, I, I think when you do more earlier is better and you minimize the suffering as opposed to dragging it out. But from your perspective, how are the Chinese looking at this? And is this kind of activity that we're seeing now actually driven by the fact that they're sort of agreeing with Putin and his message? They may have all the watches, we have all the time, and we can actually succeed in this, right? I mean, we have a tendency of, we were saying a couple of weeks ago, oh, this is one, you know, they won. And and now we're, we're sort of like, oh, my God, they, they might not be winning. We have to reconsider our strategy. What, what's your sense on how the Chinese are watching and, and, and thinking about all this?
2: Well, if Russia can be prevented from losing this war, whether that's a protracted stalemate or an outright victory, um, China wins. Um, and that's how they're looking at it. And uh, so China is going to calibrate its Approach accordingly. They don't want to get over involved, but as Barry suggested, they're fully aligned with Russia on this. Um, and uh, they're happy to help keep Russia in the game. Um, I, you know, I was just going to contrast the foreign affairs piece uh, by Richard Haas and Charles Kupchan uh, with a foreign policy essay by Raja Mohan uh, talking about Japan's view of this war. And for Japan and the Japanese elite and the leadership, it is very clear. The outcome of the Ukraine war equals the future of Asia. It's that. It's that stark. So while resources are limited and trade-offs must be made, you know, read Bridge Colby, uh, ad infinitum on this issue. Um, n- nonetheless, that's the reality, and that's to Barry's point and to Jim's point. You know, right now we have a, a strategic obligation and responsibility to ensure that Russia uh, is losing this conflict. And when it's appropriate, and we can convert that into successful diplomacy, go for it. But right now, that's not the moment.
0: Uh, I would uh, completely also agree with you that the United States, I mean, you can't just be a single channel, everything's about China and nothing else matters. Because Actually, everything is interconnected, as, as Barry, as Jim, and as, as you uh, have, have said. Uh, let me uh, just go to Asia and get take uh, another uh, bite at this apple in the time we have, because it was a very big week in Asia. Uh, State Department uh, Councillor uh, Derek Cholay, uh is in Singapore. Obviously, uh, very important military exercises between the United States uh, and Philippines, the largest that we've had in a very long uh, time. Um, I, I would say since the Marcos era, but we're in another Marcos era, uh, uh, ultimately, the, the neo uh, Marcos era, the different, the new Marcos era. Anyway, um, at the time when the Chinese also have been doing some extraordinary maneuvers uh, off of uh, the, the Taiwan coast uh, in the wake of Tsai winds. Wen's. Uh, visit uh, to the United States, including actually trying to impose in some fashion a no-fly zone in the northern part of the country, uh, northern part of the island. And so the Chinese in each one of these, um, with each one of these uh, incidents, uh, is practicing different elements of the tool set it's going to use to try to uh, isolate, blockade, uh, or or defeat uh, uh, Taiwan. What you know, walk us through the the week uh, in uh, Asia?
2: Sure. and let me just start with the complex view of what China's been up to. They're, they're kind of doing uh, you know a crossfit for future invasion of Taiwan exercises. But you know the exercise that came after present size visit ended more with a whimper than a bang. Uh, they kind of ended abruptly. they threatened they notified Taiwan that they were going to close down the airspace uh, in the north for uh, you know two or three days in the middle of this month. Then they got back and said, well, 27 minutes. And now they've come forward and they said, no, that was all an error. We didn't actually want to. We're not going to close the airspace. Um, you know, so that's interesting. And Xi Jinping, meanwhile, says, well, we now have to get combat ready. Well, what have they been doing um, if they've not been getting ready for combat? So, you know, it's interesting that that's their messaging right now. Um, you know, that was the pay and the penalty for present size international visit and uh, I think she's weathered that storm. Now that her vice president William Lai has formally been nominated as the Democratic Progressive Party, uh, the lead, you know the ruling party's uh, candidate, we're waiting for the KMT, and even the KMT visit of former president Ma ying ended kind of uh, on a sour note because Ma Ying-jeou uh, never met with Xi Jinping. She didn't want to elevate him to the same level, and, and at the same time. Um, Ma Ying Jo said, Well, you know, both China's are part, both the mainland and Taiwan were divided, and both are part of the Republic of China. <laughs> both are China. Right. And, and that really rankled uh, Beijing. But here's what the US has been doing not just Derek Chalet's high level diplomacy uh, in Southeast Asia, but in Northeast Asia, tremendous uh, diplomacy here right now in, in, inside uh, the US, the, the Korea US integrated uh, defense talks, um, it, where they're talking about. Um, a whole array of new exercises, tabletop exercises, field right. exercises, trilateral talks between uh, and among U.S., RK, and Japan going forward. Um, the U.S.-Philippine 2 plus 2, where they warned China, by the way, about potential reports of of covert reclamation in the South China Sea, which would be new reclamation that we haven't seen now for a number of years. Um, and uh, not just the Balakatan major exercise you alluded to uh, now taking place, but also getting ready for maritime right. patrols of the South China Sea, very important step forward by the Marcos government. In Vietnam, we're going to have the uh, General Secretary Trong has agreed to come and visit the White House. Um, that's a big step forward. As Secretary of State uh, Blinken will be in Vietnam this, trying to upgrade the U.S.-Vietnam relationship to a strategic partnership this year, this 10th anniversary of a comprehensive partnership. Uh, being struck 10 years ago. Um, right. And he's going to Japan for the G7 foreign ministers, where they're going to announce you know, $7.5 billion pledged to protect secure supply of critical minerals. So there's a, a great deal of alliance movement going on right now from US leadership.
0: Barry, go ahead. You had a, a, an interjection you wanted to make before you uh, leave the group. No, I think this is uh, fantastic. Uh, I agree fully with Patrick one thing I would
3: add is we should try to seize the initiative. We should try in the military domain. If China is going to do exercises, we should do our own keep out zones, you know, careful, uh, well thought through, et cetera. We should just not be on our heels in the military domain. But I agree that everything that Patrick said is really important uh, to establish um, a, a steady sort of diplomatic set of advantages that makes it much harder for China to carve out space between Taiwan's democratic partners and Taiwan
0: itself. Barry, thanks so very much uh, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Hope you have a great weekend and a great week. Look forward to uh, you joining us again uh, in the future. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dago. Jim, from a European perspective, as Europeans are looking at this, and you're sitting in Paris, what, how are they looking at all of this? And are the connections as firm between, um, uh, you know, defeating Putin? and maintaining peace in the Asia Pacific. I mean, I understand, you know, it's a a whole bunch of smaller countries, their economies, uh, for example, the German economy, the French economy and others are very dependent on the Chinese, more dependent on the Chinese uh, than we would have liked. And I think maybe even they would have liked. But is there that clarity when you talk to people uh, and what people are saying publicly and privately that there is this connection, even if we do not want the world to divide into these groups, I mean, You know, people didn't want to have to fight, uh, you know, German and Japanese dictate, you know, German, Japanese and Italian dictatorships either. And yet we had to do that at some point. Right. They're the ones driving the bus. We're responding to what they're doing. They would rather us not respond. That's not a reason why not to respond. Do do folks understand that as starkly in Europe now uh, as they need to?
1: Well, I, I, I think it and you alluded to this. You know, each European nation and the various Europeans that you talk to, uh, they have they don't have the, the view necessarily like we do towards China. I think I think uh, the U.S. view is very hawkish and it is it is bipartisan, Democrat and Republican. It's really expressed a, in the uh, Congress. I think polls have shown in the United States that uh, this concern about China has grown and grown among the American people. Uh, it's, it's not something that, um, uh, you know, that, that the U.S. Is, is dodging or the U.S. in terms of its people are not paying attention to. Uh, I think it is. But in Europe, it's, that it's not looked on the same way. And I think there is concern here that uh, we're, in a sense, sleepwalking into a war with with China. That's that's kind of a, a general feeling uh, in Europe. Uh, the Europeans, uh, like you said, that they have very strong economic links. Uh, they look on um, they, they look on China differently in a lot of ways than than Russia, and Russia, Ukraine. I mean, they know there's a connection. And, and and again, this is I'm really trying to express a common view more um, among people on the street, you know, and the higher levels in some most European capitals, I think there's great concern about China and, and et cetera. But I think generally when you talk to people around here, uh, they're they're a little worried about where the u s is going on China. So there isn't a strong uh, you know, bipartisan push here in Europe uh, to 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 fight a war with China. I think they've really, in a sense, separate they separated out a bit between Ukraine, Russia and uh, and China and the United States. So uh, but again, that, that's, I think a general feeling in Europe higher ups more among the elites or the more senior officials and governments here, I think they they're closer to where the U.S. is, but they're but in in a kind of a European way, they're hoping that nothing bad is going to come from it uh, because they don't want to find uh, uh, the economy at a minimum roiled by a, a war breaking up between China and the United States, one that they will be caught caught in the frag pattern on for sure. So they're just got their eyes closed tight and going, we hope this isn't doesn't happen uh, kind of thing. Uh, so so, yeah, I, I, you're not going to you, you don't have a necessarily as as uh, great a push here in Europe generally about China and following the United States in terms of the U.S. view on, on China and what next
0: steps need to be. Patrick, we've got about a minute left. Any last thoughts uh, as we bring this over the finish
2: line? sure um you know a pew poll showing that 83 percent of americans uh, are extremely concerned and don't trust china um maybe that's not a surprise but that's a really high number uh, and it speaks to sort of uh you know the divide that may exist between the u.s view of china and others who are further away from dealing with the china uh challenge uh, there i would point out you know tom friedman writing the new york times having just visited china and taiwan um, talks in a long essay about how this is really in many ways still a classic great power rivalry, although with many twists that need to be understood. So that's uh, it's a nuanced uh, challenge. Last point is back to North Korea. They did fire, a, apparently successfully, a Hwasong-18 solid fuel ICBM. This would be the first solid fuel ICBM that North Korea has developed, which obviously is faster and stealthier in many ways. Uh, it can reach the United States. So it it shows an accomplishment. Even though, if we go back to those leaked documents, there are doubts about even the parade that occurred in February, whether the Hwasong 17s that were paraded were even operational. Many of them apparently, apparently were not operational. So, um, you know, North Korea keeps three feet, you know, three steps forward, two back in terms of their WMD capabilities to be watched closely.
0: Guys, thanks so very much for joining me. Uh, Really appreciate it. Great discussion. Hope you guys have a terrific weekend, uh, a great week, and look forward to having you back on again next week. Thanks so much. Thanks very much to all of you for joining us and a very special thanks to Bell for their generous sponsorship that makes this podcast possible.